Some of you may know, some of you may not. We're, we've just started our new series on our vision of values as Beacon Church. And uh, there's a proverb in the Bible that says, without vision, the people perish. Swap that around. You bring vision, you bring life. And we as a leadership feel very strongly that we need to ensure there's vision in this church. We know where we're going and some of the details of that. We talk about the future and so on. But in general terms, you want to know what our vision as a leadership of this church is. It's that we flourish strongly in these values that we hold dearly. We believe they're strong biblical values. These are the core values. These are the things we don't want to let go of. These are values that, that we hold dearly to. And if you want to know what our vision is, is that we flourish in what's in here. Don't worry if you haven't brought your book with you. That's for reading at home, meditating on, and, and or talking through if you want to learn more about becoming a member of this church if you're not already. But today in the series, we're juggling the, the order a little bit, only because of people's availability for Sundays and who's best to preach which subject. So we're preaching the third section in here is life with each other, is what I'll be looking at this morning. It's just pages 9 and, nine and 10 if you've got it with you. What I won't be doing is going through each of the details in these paragraphs necessarily and spelling it out in different words and elaborating with a low load of catwalk in between. It's in here. There's one page on the basic subject and one page on what cell groups are all about, our small groups. What I am going to speak on this morning is the core issue at stake, why it's biblical, why we hold dearly to it, and why it makes a difference. So some of, the, some of what gets mentioned in here I will speak about. But basically I want to get through to the, down to the core issue of what's at stake when we talk about life with each other. So let me just pray, and then we'll look a bit deeper. Lord Jesus, we've already met with you this morning. We thank you that you're a God who is alive and well, active in our lives, who cares about us. There's great purposes for us as your people. And Lord, as we learn more about what that looks like, Lord, I pray that you might humble each one of us, myself included, that there's always stuff we can learn there's always things we need to change and there's always fresh ways in which we can honour you as our King. So Lord, as we open your word, as we hear from you, may you speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Let not one of us walk out of this room unchanged in whatever way that is personal to us. So Lord, we ask you, speak to us this morning. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Life with each other. Whether you're a Christian or not, we can all see the failings of the society around us, can't we? The culture around us. You only have to open up the newspapers, flick on the news. It's, something's not right, isn't it? We, we can all, we can all, whatever your belief, whether you believe in a God or not, doesn't matter. We can all see there's something not quite right going on. And in our Western society, there is an increasing concern about a bit of an every man for his own syndrome. There's a lot of that going on. And I, I know plenty of people who moan about that, who can see the failings of it, and yet buy into it because it's their only answer. Well, if every man's for himself, then I'd better be as well because otherwise I'm going to get left by the wayside. And people buy into it. There are serious financial issues. Look at what's going on in the banks. There's corruption. There's us thinking our economy is well solid, and it clearly isn't. Comparatively speaking, we're an incredibly rich nation for such a small country. We are well off still. But there's issues going on. Our economy is not quite as stable as we hoped it would be. There are financial issues and people are getting left behind as a result. The rich-poor gap is increasing, isn't it? And it's affecting our marketplace, it's affecting our own pockets, and so on. 
There's plenty of lonely people out there. As much as we have a great social services system, there are still a lot of people getting left out. They get the benefits, but in terms of emotional poverty, relational poverty, there are a lot of lonely people in our country. I'm a paramedic in one of my other jobs, as well as working for the church. Just these few houses and these few hundred yards radius around here, I've met plenty of people who the only people they see during the week is the postman. They're lonely. Very lonely. There's plenty more as well. I mean, the NHS is, is struggling to meet the demand because a lot of the demand is unnecessary. There's a lot of things going on. The list is endless, really, but there is a significant link with each of these that has been proven over the years in studies, and it's about a loss of community. There is no doubt that as we've progressed technologically, economically, allegedly, politically, you might argue that, but in different ways we have progressed as a society, but local community has suffered massively, hasn't it? Community has been proven to to provide raised moral standards when community builds strongly. It raises mutual moral standards. It provides constant care for the people on the fringes. It provides a sense of belonging. And it provides an increased benefit in the economy as well when people start sharing, not out of what I'm going to get out of giving you this. It's just a genuine care because there is genuine community building amongst people. And God knows this. God knows this, which is why he insists on his people demonstrating that, the true essence of community, to the world at large. Western values can creep in. The UK church, compared to other churches and other cultures, is quite poor at community. We're so used to shutting our front doors, and if we do community, we'll have to get my diaries out, and we'll do community on Thursday the 30th between the hours of 8 and 10. We don't really get this whole open door thing Jenny and I have been to Vietnam, and some, some of you guys have been to Asia with Maxine, who's a member of our church. And you get to see that is community. They live with each other, in and out of each other's houses, which is why church, when it kicks off, can explode naturally, because there are so many networking relationships that happens anyway. You don't have to strive for it or work for it and try and make it work. And that Western mindset, this individualistic mindset that's been building over the past couple of hundred years in Western Europe, has invaded the church. We grow up in that society, we become Christians, and a lot of that mindset comes with us. Yeah, well, I need a lot of me time. Well, we do, and that is wise. You need to know where to say no. I was just talking about that with someone earlier. But we can, we can absorb that to such a degree, we fail to build community as strongly as other cultures do naturally because of where they're at. But if the church is not the building, it's just a tidy pile of bricks and roof tiles, as you can read on our website, if that's the case, and if the church is God's people, then we need to look into what's at stake here. We need to see it from God's point of view, not our society's. If you've seen the film Braveheart, about the, uh, the great Scottish freedom fighter, William Wallace, Mel Gibson, one of Jenny's favourite films, there's a great quote in that where the English king, evil king Edward Longshanks, boo, he goes, the trouble with Scotland is it's full of Scots. <laughs> Brilliant line. Sums the character up completely. The trouble is, we in the church and people in the world can say, the trouble with church is it's full of people. And use it as a, as a reason why it doesn't work. Yes, it's full of people. Flawed, selfish, insecure, 
arrogant, just like you and me. That's the point. Because we are these weak creatures who are being transformed by his Holy Spirit, the outworking of God's purposes for us. As we humbly submit to him and learn from him, we are being renewed from the inside out, that we might renew the world from the inside out. It's like when you first get married. It's all sweetness and light. You've got the honeymoon period. Then after a while, that towel that gets left on the floor starts to get right on your nose. Or the CDs that get left out of the boxes. And it's like, can't you just put them back in the box? They're going to get scratched. Precious CDs. OCD, very good. <laughs> or, or, I'm putting my hand up, or you keep your wife awake at night by grinding your teeth in your sleep and you get an elbow in your ribs. It goes both ways. Reality kicks in. You get to know, really get to know each other and you have to bite your tongue, count to ten, because you love each other and you want to give to the other person. You want to apply grace to the other person. Church is the same. We join the church, we become saved, we get bowled over by our Jesus and look what's going on. But after a while you get more involved in what's going on behind the scenes and start seeing the ridiculous politics and red tape sometimes that is unnecessary but happens we need to deal with if necessary. But you can start to see what people are really like behind the scenes. And go, Do I really have to hang out with them? Yes, the problem with the church is that it's made up of people. God's point of view is that the great thing about the church is that it's made up of people. Same but different. The church is made up of his children, set apart to live life his way, living life Jesus' way, by his spirit on his mission for his glory. We've got a job to do. He wants us to shine as stars in the universe. And if that sounds like a rose-tinted metaphor, we'll come across it again later this morning. But all right, very well, but how do you work that out practically? Steve, it sounds wonderful, but I don't really see it because the church is full of people. What do we do about it? What does it look like? Let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. It's a letter in the New Testament written by Paul to a very young church, only a couple of decades old, in Philippi, which is northern Greece. It's a first century church. He wrote this about AD 62 or so. He knows these guys, he's writing a thank you to them for what they've done for him. And he's writing an encouragement. And they are a healthy church, in general terms. It's a Roman colony in northern Greece. So straight away you've got a massive culture clash going on. And it's a very, very diverse society. The church themselves are facing opposition and suffering just because of what they stand for. And because they're from a diverse society, there's a lot of cultures and mindsets going on, and all of a sudden they're standing going, no, this is the only way, Jesus is the only way. Everybody else going, no, always, and I've got this other way, and why is that more valid? And Sound familiar? It's where we're at right now, isn't it? But there's a lot of division going on as well. It's a class-conscious society, very, very diverse. There's many, many barriers, very diverse in terms of race, colour, creed, wealth, age status and background. But even in the church, there is some division creeping in. There are two women, you find out in chapter 4, which you won't have to be looking at, but you find out that actually in the church there were two women not getting on, and it looked like the church was starting to take sides in the argument as well. So it's a healthy church, but there is still opportunity for division amongst a diverse group of people living in a diverse world. 
So let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Paul's given a real good encouragement for quite a few verses. Told them how much he's praying for them. In the first section, we're going to read 27 to 30, to the end of the chapter. And this is Paul saying what they should do about it. And then we're going to, in a minute, look on to what, he's, what he says about why we should. So verse 27 to 30 of Philippians chapter 1. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ. Then, whenever I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, the good news, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, <coughs> excuse me, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still had. This isn't necessarily physical suffering and some of them being dragged off to be killed or anything like that that you can sometimes hear about at the time. That word struggle is actually the same words Paul uses as anxiety. He uses it in Colossians as well. What he's saying is your struggle, your tension, your anxiety about struggling to live for Jesus, but the mindset says this and culture says that, and then there's that woman not getting on with you. Oh, can I just give in now and again? A bit of a release. <laughs> Make life a lot easier. Paul's like, guys, please, please just sit back, take a breath and listen to me. There's something bigger at stake here. Because there, there will be anxiety in the church. Church is about real life, not a pretend facade. And there will be anxieties out in the world as well. Which is all the more argument against individualistic Christianity that John referred to a few weeks ago. You will not grow and you will not flourish on your own. Full stop. Will not happen. Sometimes it's unavoidable. Prison, illness, and I've had the privilege of meeting with people in those situations over recent weeks. Sometimes there's a reason why you can't meet. That's fine, and God understands that. But to do it voluntarily, to voluntarily place yourself in that position is unbiblical, it's foolish, it's immature, and it's downright dangerous. Downright dangerous. You will not stay hot. It's the old cliche picture of the the ember in the fire, you take the coal out, it ain't going to stay hot, is it? It's going to go cold. And as John himself, a couple of weeks ago, said, some say it's Jesus and me. Doesn't work. Jesus doesn't think that. That's not his opinion. Anne Rice is a famous author. A couple of her books have been made into big Hollywood films back in the 90s. And um, she became a Christian. And then after a few years, a year, two years back, she made a big statement and said, I've had enough of the church. I just, I just can't, be- I can't believe what it does sometimes. Can't stand it. I'm all for Jesus, but I'm having nothing to do with his church. That hurts him. He calls the church his bride. He loves her. For all her faults, he's adorning her and making her beautiful. Individualistic Christianity has no place. We need each other. It's not biblical. And it demonstrates God's manifold as you read in Ephesians, is manifold glory. That means multicoloured glory. Literally multicoloured. It's diverse glory. It reflects it. Tim Keller is a New York preacher, pastor, and he says, we can't pick up the Bible and obey its will for our lives. 
without belonging to a community of people who are doing the same thing. And Jesus, when he said to Peter, I will build my church, the word church refers to the community of God's people. It's the same word that was used at the time for the community of Israel, for God's people. I will build my church, I will build my community. It's not about individualistic Christianity. So what does that look like? Paul's saying what we should do. How do we, how do, we do that now? I, just, I think it's important just to explain a little bit more of where we're coming from in case you don't know <coughs> us as Beacon and our relationships with other churches. I, I want to spell some of this out just to show what it is we do that helps in the bigger setting and the smaller setting, how we relate to each other. And then we'll follow through what Paul's saying about why we should be doing it in the first place. Then we'll come back and remind ourselves. How do we stand firm in one spirit? How do we strive together as Paul's exhorting us to? Personally, for Beacon Church, this is what it looks like. We are related to the New Frontiers family of churches, 800 and something churches around the world now. We've been going as a movement for three or four decades. We are part of something bigger, globally. We can give to our brothers and sisters in Kenya when the famine's still going on. We can bless them. We can meet with these people. Maxine's out in China. We can relate across the world. We're part of something bigger. It's not just about little old us putting our feet up, doing our comfortable thing on a Sunday and a Thursday evening and going home again. We're part of something bigger. But within New Frontiers, as a global family, we're, we're in what's called a sphere. It's just different names for the different kind of rings of relationship, if you like, getting smaller and smaller. We're relating to a, a sphere of churches in East Anglia and Kent and Northern Europe that's looked after by a guy called Mike Betts and his team. And we're building up some really strong relationships there already. John's met up with Mike already. We call ourselves a relational mission. And it's resourcing us. We're learning from them. We're looking to the future for how we can help Beacon grow, get even more healthy. So now, actually, as Beacon Church, we are, in different ways, getting involved in church planting. It's no big secret now. It's all officially public. But we, we as a sphere, are, are looking into... Um, planting out in Lille, in France. It's not a done deal yet, but I feel strongly that God's calling us to plant the church over there to make a difference in that community, in that city. And we're on board in that, even if it's prayer support, maybe financial resourcing, maybe some of you might end up feeling called to go there. But already we're on a mission together in partnership with other churches who are leading the way in that. But if there's any way we can help them, we'll see if we can. It's not just about little old us, you see. And in the Weald as well, planting through Gateway Church Ashford, our sister church, planting into the Weald in West Kent. Again, that's been announced officially. That's all being worked towards now. And we can partner with them in that, in whatever small way it may be, or whatever big way. We're on board with something bigger. We're relating with other churches, and we can learn from that. We can grow through it as well. Then within that sphere, there's a smaller ring. We relate with the East Kent churches. We call it a cluster. Who comes up with these words? And Graham from Gateway Church looks after us. Graham's cluster, breakfast cereal. <coughs> but it's for supporting each other, it's for encouraging each other. And as each of these rings get smaller, we meet with each other more regularly. It happens more and more, more often. And we meet with the, the leaders of the other local East Kent churches. And we know each other very, very well. We have done for years. We got on like a house on fire. I'm meeting up with Hugh Pierce, who will be leading the Whitstable City Church site. Starting the year, meeting up with him this week. We're just relating with each other and encouraging one another and supporting one another and seeking each other's advice and counsel and prayer. 
Graham looks after us, like I say, as a leadership, because he looks after the East Kent churches. And his full-time evangelist, Carl Maidman, at Gateway Church, is a good friend of mine and Jenny's from our City Church days together. He's coming over to preach in October on our mission module of our vision and values. We get to get, to get blessed by their giftings and their strengths. It's all about relationship. Then you bring it home a little bit even closer to the local expression of church. Beacon. Hey! Here's a whoop. Woo! Yeah, come on, come on. We, we all have a part to play here, don't we? This is about relationship. This is what we're talking about this morning. Even if you're not on the team anywhere, I'm officially deputising you this morning as a member of the welcome team. The welcome team isn't just about the people. Kevin and the boys were standing there, handing out leaflets, giving everyone a lovely cheesy grin, <laughs> welcoming, them in, welcoming the guests in. Don't leave it for them to do all the hard work. During coffees and teas, every single one of you are officially welcome team deputies and you've got a job to do. We are all on the welcome team. We need to, this is your home and as we welcome guests in, you want to make sure they're comfortable and they get the best chair and a nice cup of tea. It's the same principle. We've all got a part to play in relating with each other and with people who come in as our guests. Coming even smaller, we have our small groups during the week. We call them cell groups because this body is made up of lots of little cells that all relate together and all have a part to play in different ways. Our cell groups, we meet on Tuesday and Thursday evenings and Thursday mornings. That's, this is where the nitty-gritty kicks in because then you really get to see a few people and what they're really, really like. It's like Jesus and his 12. You hear about the, the thousands and the 72, you don't really hear their, about their arguments. When you start looking at the stories about the 12, you really hear about their arguments. Don't you? <laughs> they show themselves what they are. But that's the glory. God loves it. Jesus loves it. It's real life. Now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. And this is where small groups comes in. Jesus had his thousands that followed him around. He had his 72. He trained and equipped and sent out. He had his 12 that he cherished and prayed for, yearned for, and dealt with on a real-life level with. Within that 12, he had his three, Peter, James and John. Within that, he had John, his best friend. See, Jesus knows what it's like and how to relate to many and to a few. And this is when small groups comes into play. You'll never get to know 40-odd people or more as we grow really well. You get to know a dozen people really well. Jesus knew that, which is why he gathered 12 men around him and made a massive difference to the future church. And it's within that context that discipleship really kicks in. Discipleship can be done in many different ways. There's no formal, here's a document on how to do discipleship. But it's about accountability, it's about speaking into each other's lives, it's about making yourself vulnerable to other people wisely, but just getting to know each other to such a degree that you can learn from each other, you can spur one another on. How are you doing, mate? Are you okay? I know you well enough to know, even though you're insisting everything's fine and you're putting on a mask, I know you well enough to know something's up. If there's anything I can do, give us a shout. Jenny and I had the privilege on Friday night. Someone came over. She's got a lot of anxieties about future in, in terms of church things, not, not someone from here. In the same way, we just hung out, we had a meal together. It was totally impromptu, it was a last-minute thing just ended up hanging out and having a meal together. And we were able to bless her and encourage her and we actually had prophetic words for her as well. We weren't expecting to, but it happened naturally. We didn't book a date to disciple someone and have prophetic words for them. It just happened through relationship. 
And that's when the nitty-gritty of small groups really kicks in. Hospitality undergirds all of this. Jesus loves food. He's big on meals. God loves food. And it encourages deeper community. We all know how in church you can see the glum lookers. You see them across the room and they've got this glum look on their face and they're staring at you and thinking, oh, what are they thinking about me? What have I done? In fact, it's just the way their muscles hang and they're looking in middle distance past you and they're thinking about what they're going to have for lunch later. But I've done that. I think, oh my life, I've done that. It's my perception and my insecurity that's doing that. It's not their attitude. But when you actually start to make a point of getting to know someone, you realise they're great, they're brilliant, I love them. When was the last time you had someone round, or the last time you visited someone? Jenny and I have got an open house policy. It's official, please, we have an open house policy. Whenever you want to, if you're just swinging by, you want to come and see us, ring the bell. We might not be in, <laughs> but if we're in, if we're in, please, do so. Don't book an appointment with us. We'd love you just to swing by. If you come round, we'll make you a drink, we'll make you a meal. But please, do so. So that's the practicalities of how we work out relationships as Beacon Church. But we need to look at what Paul is saying here. Boils down to diversity and what Christ has done about that. Look around this room. Diverse group in just such a small local church. Male and female, young and old. Kevin? (laughs) Married, single, widowed, working, not working. We represent the US, Nigeria, Brazil, New Zealand between us. Huge diversity just in a small gathering of people already. And diversity is a big theme of the Bible's big story. The Bible itself is written by 40 different authors in three different languages across a number of cultures. There's diversity straight away. But you look in the book of Revelation, as, as David was reading from earlier, what kind of a people has God gathered to himself? Every tribe, nation, people and tongue. Every language. God loves diversity because it demonstrates his multicoloured glory. It reflects him. And Christ never intended us to be an exclusive people. He never intended us to be groups of like-minded individuals with the same interests and hobbies and age or social status. Look at the twelve. All sorts of different backgrounds and ages and temperaments, weren't there? You look at the DVDs of Matthew we watched. Some, apparently some of them were South African and Welsh. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but the true beauty of genuine community is only revealed when it goes against the grain of what we want to do sometimes and develops between a diverse group of people. If that wasn't the case, Paul wouldn't be writing this message. And I know it can all sound like a bit of a pipe dream, can't it? A rosy picture. Is it possible? Well, yes, it is, because God says so. And he proves it at the end. It happens. So what do we do about it now? Well, we can press on and make sure we like each other, because God told us to. Or we can follow Christ's example and let it happen naturally. Big difference. Which is what Paul says. If you continue into chapter 2, He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. He says, until you get this, it ain't going to happen naturally. Through the first 11 verses, 
Carrying on from where he left off, he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, here we go, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Genuine caring community is achievable when it's founded not on rules and regulations or on equality on diversity policies, as valid as they are, but it's when it's founded on the cornerstone of Christ's sacrifice, when we follow his example because he did it first. That's when it works. You may have heard before, but the phrase humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Jesus did exactly that when he practised humility. He wasn't putting himself down or pretending he was something he wasn't. He, still being God, didn't pretend he wasn't God, but he still put us flawed human beings first. Why? To us flawed human beings could be rescued from the consequences of that selfishness. If we think we're clever enough or worthy enough to earn God's favour, we're woefully wrong. We're not. But he still willingly put himself in our place to earn that favour for us. He demonstrated humility, he set the scene and he gave it up for you. Because without him, harmony and diversity will always be enemies. Because we're all stained by sin, we're all selfish, we're all judgmental. But at the cross, Jesus took utter diversity, perfect God and imperfect man that could never meet in the middle. He took that diversity and married it with harmony at the cross because he was perfect God and perfect man. He was the only bridge that could ever be made between perfect God and imperfect man was Christ who was God and man at the same time. And at the cross he took our sin, our selfishness, our dirt if you like, on his shoulders. When you put your faith in him, that work on the cross means he takes that off you and he gives you his perfect life that you could never have lived. It's a scandalous transaction and it happens every time someone puts their faith in him as their saviour. But that's where he married harmony and diversity. It can work, but only when it's founded in him as the cornerstone of it all. Equality and diversity policies are great and I did a course last year. There's a lot I learnt, very valid. And it helps counterbalance the general bias, biasness judgmentality that's out in the world where we can all be selfish and disregard people who aren't like us or are disabled or leading to the wayside because well, it doesn't matter as long as I'm alright. Quality and diversity policies in the workplace are important. 
but genuine equality and diversity will only be found in the cross because the cross levels the playing field. It's no longer about sex or creed or how much money you've got, your social standing, your history, your past. It's all the same. We are all sinners saved by a gracious God through the cross. And when we view each other through cross-tinted spectacles, if you like, it changes everything. If you have trouble accepting people and their faults, just remember that Christ, Christ accepts you despite yours. So Paul is saying, follow Christ's example. Until you get that, you're going to be forcing a duty that will never come naturally. He says, that's the why. And that's the how. And then he carries on in verse 12. He then says, therefore. Every time you're in the Bible and you read a therefore, just remember that it's there for a reason. He's going, therefore, Christ's example. He set the scene, he showed you how. Even God put you first. Therefore, my friends, in response to that, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. There's that phrase. As you hold out the word of life. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying that salvation available through the cross is incomplete. It is. But what he is saying is that it bears the best fruit we work out what it means to our lives and what we need to do in response to it. Monday afternoon, Thursday morning, during the week, working out what it means now that I'm saved. Because you're not on your own. Because verse 12, where he says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Verse 13, he says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You're not alone and he's working in you to fulfil his promises anyway. So go for it. Because then we will shine like stars in the universe. Paul hasn't got in his mind a bunch of individual stars there. He's got in mind a beautiful constellation. He's saying, Paul is saying, as you hold tight to his word, despite the myriad number of reasons why you shouldn't and why that person gets your goat, and why you just really you struggle but you really can't relate with that person, or why you only want to be with them because they've got the same interests as you, Paul's saying, as you hold tight to his word, then you'll shine in the surrounding darkness together as a beautiful constellation. It's not about just being called to love those who are like us. That would be easy, wouldn't it? But Christ is calling us to take it one step further, to love those that are different to us. Because then the world goes, how is that possible? Jenny and I have seen a number of small groups that work well and build community across diverse barriers. Across age, maturity, race. And it does work. And they're not perfect. But we've seen a glimpse of it. It can work. It does work. And it's beautiful and it's fruitful. But unless we aim for that, as the great biblical standard we're going to aim for, even if we're not seeing it now, just know that Christ endorses it and there's a good reason for it because it displays his glory 
And also, as Spurgeon, the Victorian Baptist preacher, he said, Christian labourers disconnected from the church are like sowing seed and reaping without having a barn in which to store the harvest. Building that community gives us somewhere to reap what God's doing, to build further relationships and further relationships and further relationships and see God working through that and demonstrating his glory. When we see genuine community breaking out more and more in the church, it will spill out into the neighbourhood around us, just because of the contacts we make every day. Neighbours, friends, work colleagues, clients. And as that spills out, genuinely, we will see the lonely cared for. We will see the poor supported. We will see the excluded included. We will see orphans and widows finding family. But it requires commitment and it requires a deliberate decision. Sometimes the pedal has to hit the metal. Looking back to those concerns of, about our society, society that I looked at earlier, do you want to see a sense of belonging in the UK, in Herne Bay? Do you want to see reliable, consistent, constant care provided for those people who are being failed? Do you want to see no one on the fringes you want to see our weak economy strengthened by sacrificial generosity because you can't outgive a generous God. We'll be preaching that in November. Do you want to see these things? Because it's possible. As we, his people, trust that he's got the resources, he's got the ability, he's got the energy, and we can see it in an increasing manner. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour? Do you have a sense of a need for belonging that you, ha- you fail to meet? You find it a little bit in your family or your friends, a lunch club you go to, but you know something's missing? Or do the church's imperfections put you off church? The trouble with the church is it's full of people. Because Jesus thinks she's brilliant. He loves his church. He gave everything for her and the only way to know true belonging and acceptance is in him. And being one of the many stars that say, I'm in this. It's hard, but I'm in this. Life with each other. It's hard. And it's scary. And it means commitment. It means biting your tongue. It sometimes means holding your breath and counting to ten. But you know what? It does mean sacrifice. But Jesus went through all of that for you. He set his face like flint. No, I'm doing this. The joy set before him on the cross, as we were hearing earlier. He said, I'm doing this. He bit his tongue when he needed to. Sometimes he told people off. But other times, when he was suffering for us, he bit his tongue. But when he did say something, he asked God to forgive them. He gave himself sacrificially and he put us before himself. For you. What better way to glorify him, to big him up, than by doing the same thing? If you don't know Jesus, then you want to know more of what I'm talking about, then please come and speak to myself or David or John later. I'd love to spend time with you and explain some more. It would be the best decision you've ever made. 
because the church is beautiful. It is made up of people, and God thinks that's a brilliant reason because they're the people he's chosen as his people. He's saved and gave his son for, that we might shine like stars <laughs> and the universe is a beautiful constellation. Let's pray. Jesus, you know that we know that life can be tough with other people. You know the people we struggle with. You probably know that we're the people other people struggle with. (laughs) Sometimes, I'm sure. But Lord, we just humbly ask for your help. If we say we want to glorify you, if we say we want to see you make a difference in this town, and you're saying, I want to use you in that, then we need to put our differences to one side, We need to put our desires to one side, perhaps, and to honour you in our relationships. Lord, we want to love each other in a way that glorifies you. We want to demonstrate you to the world around us, that people might ask, why is that? How is that possible? Lord, you, through your word, ask us to always be prepared to give an answer for for the hope that is in us. And Lord, we want to be living lives that beg that question in the first place. So Lord, help us. Speak to us, show us, in each of our individual ways, what it is we may need to do different or need to keep pressing into where we feel tired. But Lord, just show us what it means to live life with each other in such a way that it just glorifies you as our King, as the Lord of the universe, as our Saviour. We love you, Lord, and we want to do what's necessary to prove that. In your name we pray. Amen. We've got an opportunity to build community now. Teas and coffees and then some food as well. So please, even if you haven't brought any food, please stay with us. We'd love to spend time getting to know you more, building a community. If you want to know more, come and grab me. If you want to pray through anything that you're struggling with on this subject, please come and grab me and we'll do so. Thank you.